You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome once again to Disney One by One. Today we're talking about Alice in Wonderland from 1951. It is the 13th movie on the list. Lucky number 13. This one, this one deserves lucky number 13. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> As always, remember, you can check us out all over the internet at Disney1x1 on social media. And if you could give us a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it, or wherever else you listen to your podcast, it'll be much appreciated. As always, today on the show, my brother David Rolfing, the Tweedledee to my Tweedledum. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I'm glad you're Tweedledum. Yeah, Thank I, you I for think, having me. I think this will be a new tradition. I'll come up with some sort of analogy on every episode about us. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, and along with David, back for the third time on the show. You heard him <laughs> in Pinocchio. You heard him in Saludos Amigos. And you're now hearing him in Alice in Wonderland, Mr. Chris Lair. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I'd like to wish you both a very happy unbirthday. Indeed. Uh, it, it is my unbirthday. You, is it you, actually your birthday? No, it is my unbirthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That'd be quite the coincidence. That would be. <laughs> um, so Chris, what's what's going on? I mean, we, we already like went through your top five movies and your Disney history, so I don't know what else we can talk about. Oh, not too much going on right now, although I know you are planning a trip to Disney World. Ah, Coming indeed. up soon. Something about, something about doing it in a day? Well, yeah, so our, our parents have a condo like an hour and a half from Orlando. Sweet. That we're going to. And so I have to like, you know, I'm going to be in Orlando. I might as well, you know, take advantage of that. But I have, right. a, I have a small child now, so that makes Disney a little more difficult. Right. So we'll be leaving her with the grandparents for a day and driving back to Orlando. The main goal is to do the Avatar stuff. Ooh. Because... Animal Kingdom. You know, the last time I went to Animal Kingdom was with... David went in 2011 and we were there for like a morning, David. Remember that? We were barely there. And you were sick half and the I got morning. Sick. Yeah. You were sick. <laughs> well, okay. So we did a day at, at Magic Kingdom, like a whole day at Magic Kingdom, preceded by like a really late night at Epcot. Uh-huh. So we were really tired and we rode Everest three times in a row, I think, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my Which, gosh. like, I'm pretty good on rides. Like, I used to get motion sick, like, car sick as a kid, but rides don't are normally fine. But anything that goes yeah. backwards kind of irks me. Yeah, and me too. We, and Everest goes backwards for, like, half the ride. Oh. And so we did that, like, three times in a row, and I was not feeling great after that. <laughs> but we were still able to do most of the park that, that like, morning. I mm. think we went to, like, the Lion King show and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ride the dinosaur ride? Yeah. Yeah. They rode that one without me what? once because I wasn't feeling good. And then <laughs> we and then we rode it again later before we left. It must not have been very crowded that day. Last time I went to Animal Kingdom, it was 1998, the year it opened. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, so yeah, I the goal is to hit up the Avatar stuff. But based on my experience, even though this will be, we're going at a time where like it's t- like level 10 crowd levels, like max crowd levels. So I'm a uh, little worried about that, but I still feel like getting to Animal Kingdom an hour early. I have a fast pass for Flight of Passage. All right. I have one for for the Safari and for Everest. Nice. I plan on going straight to the boat ride. 
avatar boat ride, get out of the way. And then, uh, basically circumnavigate the park for the next two hours, uh, and basically get it all done Mm. like in the morning. So the plan is to probably like hop to Epcot or something after that. Okay. Are the next Avatar movies like actually in production right now? They are. And there's like four, uh, four more, right? Three or yes. four more. Yes. So weird because that first movie seems pretty like final. You know, I yeah. was not expecting a sequel. Well, it is the number one movie of all time. They'd be stupid not to make one. It just, I agree with David though. It felt very final. It felt. Like, oh, well, there goes the story. The book is closed. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently the world of Pandora at Animal Kingdom is quite impressive. So yeah, I'm excited S- to check it out. So I've heard. Anyway, that's my grand plan. Thanks for asking. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, opened up a can of worms there. <laughs> I'll uh, report on a later show how all that went down. Yeah. You should just stop by Magic Kingdom for the heck of it. I think that's part of the plan. Like, go ride the People Mover. Yeah. And leave. Yeah. <laughs> or like see, I mean, my fast passes will be done at 1030 a.m. And uh-huh. so I'm going to see if there's anything available anywhere else. And that'll sort of dictate what step two is. So cool. Anyway, there's not a whole lot of Alice in Wonderland in the Florida parks that I can recall. There, there, there is a ride at, in Disneyland. Oh, there is a, a dark ride, which is actually pretty great. But in Disney World, I don't know. There's not there's not much. So. Anyway, before we move on, another iTunes review this week from P. Schaefer87, who says, This podcast has a little bit of something for everyone, comedy, history, Disney obsession, and insight. If you love Disney movies, this is the perfect way to revisit the classics. Thanks for that. And we got a very nice email from Elizabeth Dalby, who, among other things, mentioned that her husband sings in a barbershop quartet, and she sent me their rendition of the Headless Horseman song from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and it is pretty incredible. So I will put the link to that song in the description to this episode. You should check it out. And with that, we'll move on to Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And now, our feature presentation. Step into an exciting, colorful, wonderfully new world as Walt Disney brings to glowing life the adventures of Alice in Wonderland, based on Lewis Carroll's beloved story. So Alice in Wonderland is based on an 1865 novel written by English author Charles Ludwig Dogson, better known as Lewis Carroll. (laughs) 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 It's a pseudonym. It's not really short for any of that. I guess Ludwig Lewis could be short for Ludwig. Ludwig. It has quite the history in film. It was made multiple times as a silent film in 1903, 1910, 1915. And also as some form of a movie in 1931, 1933, 1949, and then ultimately uh, the Disney feature in 1951. Huh. In 1923, Disney, as an aspiring 21-year-old filmmaker, he had his own little studio called the Laughogram Studio, and they made a bunch of short films that were generally unsuccessful. One of those Laughogram short films was Alice in Wonderland, uh, loosely based on the Alice book. So he he kind of had an affinity for Alice in Wonderland. Most of his life, he even uh, had the story read to him as a schoolboy. You know, his Laughogram studio went bankrupt and a number of things happened. And eventually, you know, he started Walt Disney Animation. It was one of the earlier ideas he had to transition into a feature film. It was eventually scrapped in favor of Snow White, but also because Paramount made a 1933 live action adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. And apparently it wasn't very good. (laughs) So in 1938, after the huge success of Snow White, Disney bought the rights to Alice in Wonderland. He hired some people to develop the story and the concept art. And by 1939, they had a story reel. He wasn't a big fan of what they had done. 
and so it's kind of put on hold. And then as we've discussed in a lot of these episodes, World War II happened, and a number of things were put on hold, and, you know, kind of development of these things sort of waxed and waned. In 1945, shortly after the war, Disney started to bring Alice in Wonderland back. He even hired British author Aldous Huxley to rewrite the script, and I'm trying to remember... What did Huxley? Huxley was like Brave New World, maybe? Or what, what did he write? Do you recognize that name, either of you? No, well, the name rings a bell. Yeah, he's most famous for Brave New World, which is like this dystopian future novel. Ah, uh, yes. Like a lot of high schoolers read, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. So Disney had Huxley write, write a, a, <laughs> a version of the script. Huxley's version ended up being too literal of an adaptation of Carol's book, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really curious what's actually in that book if too his version literal. was too literal. <laughs> Because uh, this movie's insane. Mm. Anyway, uh, Mary Blair was brought in to work on some concept art. We've talked about her in the past. Kind of one of Walt's uh, more prominent artists. At one point, Disney was considering making this movie a part animation, part live action, kind of like Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, oh. but ultimately decided against that and that it would work best as a full-length feature animated film. Yay, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> So eventually, you know, uh, <laughs> after the war, Cinderella was released. Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland, as we mentioned in the last episode, were sort of competing. Uh, they were both in development and production at the same time. Cinderella was farther ahead, so they went with that one. Plus, it was more similar to Snow White, which was very successful, and they needed to have a success after World War II. So they went with they went with Cinderella, and then eventually the next year, Alice in Wonderland. So that's where we are. Alice in Wonderland came out. Uh, July 26, 1951, released in London, and then a couple days later in New York City. Um, it was eventually nominated for an Academy Award for its score, but lost to an American in Paris, which mm. I don't blame it, because American in Paris with George Gershwin, and it's awesome. <laughs> One quick thing that I discovered a little while ago. David, do you recall, and I'm going to forget which movie it is, and Chris, you might have seen this one too. The one with Jack and the Beanstalk was mm-hmm. Fun and Fancy Free, correct? Yeah. And the Jack and the Beanstalk story was told by this bizarre uh, ventriloquist and his puppets. It was? Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you're from, you're from, you need to watch them. I mean, it's the strangest thing. And listen to our fun and fancy, fancy free episode to uh, really hear more about this. But anyway, huh. uh, in order to promote Alice in Wonderland, there was a hour-long television feature. Disney was diving into the, the realm of TV huh. called One Hour in Wonderland. It introduced Catherine Beaumont as the, you know, this new budding star and as the voice of Alice. But it was like hosted by that guy and his stupid puppets. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's really weird. You can find it on YouTube if you search One Hour in Wonderland. It's 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 charming in a classic, you know, Disney, Disney charm. Uh-huh. But it's got that guy and his and his ventriloquist puppets back. Uh, so. Hey, kids, they're here. Wow, what a mob. Hi, you guys and gals. Hi, Hi Charlie. Hi, Arthur. How do you do? Glad you could make it, boys. Well, I want you to meet your hostess. This is Catherine Beaumont. She's the voice of Alice in Wonderland. Anyway, uh, yeah, Catherine Beaumont is the star of this movie, the voice of Alice, and I noticed this immediately. Um, she is also the voice of Wendy in Peter Pan, our next movie. Oh, really? Was, I, as soon as I heard her voice, I'm like, that is that sounds like Wendy, because Peter Pan was a very uh, frequently viewed movie in my childhood. So We also get the return of Sterling Holloway, who I've uh, waxed poetically about on the show. He's a frequent narrator and voice mm-hmm. in the Disney movies, We Did Wayne and the Pooh. 
He'll do Ka the Snake. He was the narrator of the Penguin story in Three Caballeros, and he's the voice of the Cheshire Cat in this movie. Uh, That's the general history of Alice in Wonderland. So, David, what do you have to contribute to that long exposition there? The original title of Carol's book was Alice's Adventures Underground, then changed to Alice's Hour in Elfland, and then finally ended up with Alice... Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So a few different titles there. As you probably noticed, if you've seen this movie, a lot of people think that Alice's drinking of potions and eating of various foods in the world are all drug references. Um, (laughs) References to all the drugs that the Disney animators were on. Yeah. Yeah. Her mood, she like starts crying like out of nowhere when she gets big and at the towards the beginning and so people think that a lot of this is referring to drug abuse or Ooh. hard drug use huh so yeah i mean i kind of thought of that but it is just a trippy movie in general which we've seen in previous disney movies some trippy segments especially pinocchio <laughs> oh yeah what a throwback <laughs> and saludos amigos and yeah three caballeros and that is all for this week's fun facts. Great. Wow. <laughs> we, need a, we need a fun facts jingle. Yeah. We don't need to work on that. There are wonderful tunes for your heart. Wonderful thrills for your eyes as you share with Alice the wonderful things she sees. So, Chris, before we dive into our reactions upon watching this movie, what's your history with Alice in Wonderland? Have you seen this before? What were your sort of preconceived notions oh. of this movie? Oh, yeah, man. I grew up on this film. Watched it a bunch when I was a kid, and uh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I found myself very much uh, reliving positive memories while watching it. I laughed out loud a lot, sometimes ironically, just because it was the sheer absurdity of it. But man, I go way back with this film, and I love it. David, how about you? I honestly remember the live action movie, which I've seen more recently, more than this one. The Johnny Depp one? Yeah, um, this seems to kind of be a theme that we didn't really watch a lot of the girly main character movies growing up, so I don't <laughs> even think we had this one. No, I don't think we did either. Really? I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. I've definitely seen clips here and there, but this is my first time really seeing it through besides the live action Johnny Depp one that came out 10 years ago or whenever that was. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat, David. I do not think we owned this one at home when we were growing up. Uh, I certainly recognize a couple sequences, but as I've said over and over again, it's probably from those sing-along VHS tapes we had that sort of chose highlights and selections from from the movies, especially the songs. You know, I've been on the ride at Disneyland once or twice, which briefly goes through the plot of the movie. <laughs> there is also, there's an Alice in Wonderland hedge maze in Disneyland Paris. Random, but I've been in huh. that. <laughs> Really? <laughs> and yeah, I've I've definitely seen the Tim Burton, uh, Johnny Depp 2010 movie. Anyway, if you all listening haven't seen this movie or haven't seen it in a long time, here is Alice in Wonderland in 60 seconds. Alice in Wonderland is the story of Alice, a bored little girl longing for adventure. When she spots a white rabbit in the park exclaiming how late he is, she follows him into a large hole. She falls down, 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 and stumbles across numerous odd characters, including Tweedledee and Tweedledum who tell her the tale of the walrus and the carpenter. 
She continues to follow the rabbit, leading to his house. She eats a cookie that turns her into a giant. She magically shrinks and escapes into a garden of flowers who sing her a lovely song. Next, she eats a special mushroom, which makes her normal-sized again, and then continues her rabbit pursuit. Next, in the woods, she comes across the Cheshire Cat, who tells her to go visit the Mad Hatter and the March Hare, because they might know where the rabbit is. She finds them and their mad tea party, as they are celebrating their unbirthdays. The rabbit joins the party, but the Hatter and Hare throw him into the woods. Alice gives up and decides to go home, but she gets lost in the woods. The Cheshire Cat comes back and suggests that Alice visit the Queen of Hearts for help. After a lively game of croquet, Alice is blamed for tripping the Queen and she's sent to trial. The trial turns to chaos as the Queen orders Alice's execution. But Alice flees. She reaches the last door and can't get out, but it turns out she was merely sleeping in the park. She wakes up and heads home for tea. All right, Alice in Wonderland. Chris, you rewatched this movie today. Mm-hmm. So it's fresh on your mind. Oh, yeah. What was your initial reaction upon rewatching Alice in Wonderland? Oh, man. Very positive. I loved it. I loved this film. There was some stuff that I, I also remember that dredged up some old memories, as has been the uh, <laughs> kind of the cycle with doing this D- Disney one-by-one one stuff. Yep. It's like... Some things that I had pushed way back into the recesses of my mind have come bubbling back <laughs> into my memory. Very good, though. I, I really enjoyed it. All right, David, how about you? I also enjoyed the movie. Um, I think I enjoyed kind of the first and third acts more than the middle of the movie. It dragged really? a little bit for me. Yeah. I have some really vague memories like of the first scenes of her getting trapped with the, the little doors and everything and like kind of weird childhood memories of like having similar nightmares to that. <laughs> um so i don't know if i'm like confusing nightmares with the movie or just i don't know you know childhood memories can be weird sometimes yeah funny funny story actually i was watching it yeah and my wife my wife came home and she's never seen it and she jumped in right at the tea party scene which is my favorite scene and she jumped in right there and she's like watching it and i could tell she was kind of getting uncomfortable she's like Tell me that it stressed her out. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but apparently it stressed her out. Yeah. The franticness. Yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned that, David. This is I tend to say long story short a lot on this show, but hey. <laughs> Growing up, I had like a really bad fever when I was a pretty little kid. Uh oh. And like an accompanying nightmares. Not Alice in Wonderland related, but this 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 will tie back in, oh. don't worry. Okay. <laughs> and throughout like my life, maybe even through like high school, it's since it hasn't happened in a long time. I would have these like weird hallucination things like when I was trying to like oh. sort of in between sleep and awake or like trying to go to sleep or like I'd be awake in bed and like everything around me would feel really like small or like distant. Oh yeah. Or like everything in my head would be like have these like rushing thoughts that I couldn't stop and I would have to like go into my parents' room and, like, wake my mom up and, like, have a conversation to, like, distract myself from this thing. Or, like, when I got older, I would have to, like, turn the TV on in my room to, like, or turn the radio on to, like, have something to distract me from this. I'd call it, like, the scary thought. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, whoa. (laughs) It's a thing. And, like, I've talked to other people that have had the same thing. Whoa. You know, it spawned from some, like, crazy high fever as a child. I eventually, like, thought maybe I should research this and see what this actually is. And I haven't been able to find an exact explanation that matches what I've what I've had, but the closest thing I could find is literally called Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Also known as Todd's syndrome. And 
you know, it's, huh. if you go on Wikipedia, it's like it's a disor- disorienting neurophysiological condition that affects perception. People may experience distortions in visual perception known as micropesia, objects appearing small or objects appearing large or objects appearing to be closer than they are or objects appearing to be further away than they are. Uh, and that's a lot. And it says it's often associated with migraines, brain tumors, and psychoactive drug use. So I did not have the two <laughs> latter of those, uh. as far as I know. <laughs> Nor do I really think I've had migraine headaches in my life. But it was the result of this, like, sick spell I had that caused some crazy nightmares that just sort of lingered in my brain somehow. So hmm. Alice in Wonderland syndrome. <laughs> and I know our dad has also had weird childhood nightmares about objects being small and large so he probably has the same thing and i have a similar genes i have a similar thing it was less visual it was more like sounds okay sounding extremely loud and i was trying to fall asleep and stuff so well mine was mine was like that plus this whole like kind of visual weird perception thing yeah (laughs) like I'd, i'd be like staring at the clock next to my bed you know that was just mere feet away and it felt like it was just like yards and yards away oh my goodness kind of thing like really weird stuff Chris, do you have any strange uh, mind freak out things in your past? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not really. I've had exploding head syndrome before. Which is what? It's it's a weird thing you get when you're stressed out and you are fatigued and you haven't had enough sleep. And you go to go to sleep. You kind of hear this weird bubbling sound in the back of your ears. And then suddenly it'll make a loud bang. And it's nothing really happening. It's like a, s- a psychological thing. But I, I mean, I still have it to this day once in a while. If I haven't had enough sleep and I'm stressed out. <laughs> That's very interesting. Huh. It's upsetting. <laughs> I had a roommate in college who had the same deal that I had too. So it's it's it's, oh, not, really? it's not uncommon. Yeah, I explained it to him. He's like, really? I had the same thing. Alice in Wonderland syndrome, I suppose. My thoughts on this movie. I know I'm torn. Like I appreciated really? it. Like it was entertaining but it is so just nonsensical. Oh, man. <laughs> that, like, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mood. Like, I feel like if I if I watched it a few more times, I might enjoy it. Mm, but mm-hmm. I was just like, I need to watch this movie. So I sat and watched it. And I was just like, this is just like not, nothing happened. <laughs> it's true, like, man. <laughs> she literally, I mean, the plot, I mean, the general plot oh. of the movie is she's she's in a park. Alice in a park with her mom or her teacher or her tutor. Her of tutor, some kind. Her tutor. Mm-hmm. And this rabbit runs by saying that he's late for something. She follows him into a hole. And then it's like, it's basically another like Disney package film, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. like it's a bunch of little short films all crammed together. that don't really fit together. That sounds about right. Until like the, you know, I guess the bunny kind of ties it all together. The rabbit. Sort and of. Then, and then at the end, she just like wakes up from a terrible nightmare and she's back in the park. Mm-hmm. But like. None of it really makes any sense. So I don't know. Like the animation's great. I love the style. A lot of the characters are really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the sequences are really fun. I mean, well, we may get into the whole walrus scene. Like (laughs) it's like just this random story told for no apparent reason. Uh, I mean, it's all random. It doesn't really, you know, it's all random. Talk about a tangent, man. Like I said, I, I, I like the animation, the style. This is very Mary Blair heavy, as we've discussed Herb in the past, which I, I, I really like her style. And yeah, some fun songs, some fun sequences, but like mm-hmm. as a whole, I wasn't like jumping for joy over this movie. Because my world would be a wonderland. We can dive into some specific segments or some specific thoughts. Hey, side note, do you... Uh, yeah. The score was done by Oliver Wallace. Okay. Who he did like 
pretty much all of those old Disney uh, cartoon shorts. And he even did a lot. He did pretty much all of their documentaries. He did Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Lady and the Tramp, Peter Pan. And uh, I wanted to know, a little piece of trivia for you, okay. Mike. Who did the score for the 2010 Tim Burton reboot? I would guess Danny Elfman. Ding, ding, ding. Yep, it's Danny Elfman. <laughs> That's an easy one. We got it's Tim Burton. Easy. You got Tim Burton. It's like yeah. Steven Spielberg and John Williams. They kind of go together. So. Yeah. Very copacetic. So, Chris, how about... Did you have a favorite segment from this movie? Because it is pretty segmented. So let's just let's go with that first. I would say my favorite part would be the tea party. It's just it's kooky. It's out of control, which is I've, I mean, I've always been kind of hyperactive. So this scene used to just amp me up because you got this rabbit and you got a guy with a big hat. And they're talking funny and they're doing all these completely nonsensical stuff. I loved every gag, like especially mm-hmm. whenever he he cuts the cup in half and he's like, just half a cup. And then he pours <laughs> into it and then the tea stays in the cup. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so descent into madness and I love every second. Just half a cup if you don't mind. It is really fun, and yeah, like you said, some fun side gags, and mm-hmm. he pours the tea into his collar, and it comes out his sleeve, yeah. and, <laughs> and it is a fun song, and the unbirthday thing is is, is fun as well. And oh, then actually, yeah. the unbirthday comes back later, so we do have some some cohesion mm-hmm. to the story. Yeah, what do you it know? Does, it does come back <laughs> at the end, so. David, how about a favorite scene or sequence for you besides the unbirthday? Favorite scene... Probably the just the falling through the hole and getting through the first door. Oh, that's great. Um, I had kind of remembered seeing that before, but I still didn't really remember like how she got out of the situation or like, you know, how she got through that final door. I just thought it was cool, like visually, and I liked the trippiness, but it all it was kind of like pushing her into this new world and I thought they mm-hmm. did it in a cool way. And they like continued using that trope of eating things as changing her shape throughout the rest of the movie, which I didn't know they did either. Yeah. So that was probably my favorite overall scene. Well, after this, I shall think nothing of of falling downstairs. Okay, here's my problem, though. She falls down that hole, and she is way too calm about it. (laughs) (laughs) She is so blasé. About just floating down this hole and all this nonsense. She's like, oh, interesting. Look at that. She says, like, bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> Plummeting into this deep void. <laughs> Maybe her teacher gave her some, you know, <laughs> LSD or something for some her school ambient. lesson. <laughs> I think one of my favorite sequences was the... Uh, f- the flower sequence where the flowers are singing. Oh my gosh, are you serious, Mike? It's cool. Yeah, like I like like all the different voices that come in and sing. Yeah, they're they're playing percussion on the flowers. It's just very creative. Okay. Yeah, you see all these flowers and these like in this like anthropomorphic form. Also, this I believe this this scene was in one of those sing along VHS tapes. So ah. I had like a memory of it that like you know it was a fond memory of it. I also thought the part like 
where she right after she cries the the wave a tidal uh-huh. wave and like goes through the door finally when she's just like floating along and there's all those just those, those like weird creatures oh yeah just like in the water with her that's where we meet the dodo yeah the dodo which i guess the dodo comes back later as well so there there is a little bit of cohesion yeah a little bit the dodo and there's like a bird that looks a lot like jose carioca from uh three caballeros and saludos amigos and he shows up again during the jury scene oh yes yeah that was just kind of fun because i didn't i didn't remember that at all i'm like oh this is this is kind of fun. the dodo the dodo bird is fun oh so. yeah he's got a great voice I'd love to briefly talk about the the walrus scene. What was that story called? Oh my called? gosh! Uh, the the walrus, walrus and the carpenter. And the carpenter. So I read about this a little bit. I was like, "Is this just completely random, or does this come from the book?" And it was in the book. It is a poem recited in chapter four by Tweedledee and Tweedledum to Alice. So it is a poem consisting of eighteen stanzas and one hundred eight lines, hmm. in an alternation of iambic trimeters tri- and iambic tetrameters so the walrus and the carpenter were walking close at hand the beach was wide from side to side but much too full of sand i think i looked away or just couldn't remember but like a couple minutes into this walrus scene i was like wait how did they transition to this from tweedledee and tweedledum i did the same thing i had to rewind it to to figure out what the heck happened yeah Yeah, they just like want to tell her a story there's no ulterior motive to it no, there's not. <laughs> but after I l- looked back, I was like, okay, they transitioned it with their heads becoming the moon and the sun and that split, you know, weird skyline. I mean, I thought it was a fun little segment. Oh, I love it. It's Compared dark. to some of the other ones, I liked it more than the flower scene, Mike. Yeah, Mike, I didn't like that flower scene at all. <laughs> it, re- it reminded me a lot of the... Uh, the rain sequence in in Bambi, which I love, when mm. it starts raining and it's like, mm. bump bump bump, little April showers, da, 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 da. and it's like all perfectly oh. in sync with the music and stuff. It just reminded me of that. So, anyway, on the the walrus and the carpenter, yeah, that is a dark story. <laughs> yeah, but what's the moral of it? Don't be uh, curious. Jeez. <laughs> so it's like we get I the walrus, the walrus, and the carpenter, and then there's a bunch of oysters, Ugh. and then they eat all the oysters. <laughs> Right, they yeah, do. The moral is don't be curious because I'm pretty sure she says like, what they ask her why she wants to go find the rabbit. She says because I'm curious where he's going, and they they start telling that story, and the mm. clams were curious to follow the walrus. So curiosity will kill you. It killed the cat. <laughs> now, if you are ready, oysters, dear. I just I'm just skimming information about this short and I just I saw a couple words that piqued my interest. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Uh, the, The characters of the Walrus and the Carpenter have been interpreted many ways, both in literary criticism and pop culture. Some, including the character Loki in the film Dogma, interpret the Walrus to be a caricature of the Buddha and the Carpenter to be a caricature of Jesus Christ. Interesting. What the heck? What? The Carpenter? (laughs) You're right. British essayist J.B. Priestley argued that the figures were political, as does Walter Russell Mead, who uh, utilizes the walrus and the carpenter as an allegory for Britain and the United States, respectively. Interesting. <laughs> who are the oysters? <laughs> uh, Native Americans. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which we'll get into next episode with Peter Pan. <laughs> Ooh, good luck. Yeah, so I don't know. It seems like there's lots of interpretations of of this, but but this story appears obviously, or certainly in some other things. As I mentioned, the Loki from Dogma. I'm not familiar with that, but um, there's like a Betty Boop short that mentions this. 
There's a Doctor Who episode, The Rings of Akaten, where Doctor mentions shoes and ships are sealing wax and cabbages and kings. Hmm. I mean, it's an old enough poem that this is sort of just, you know, permeated pop culture more than I was aware of. It's memorable. There's also the, the Beatles song, I Am the Walrus, <laughs> refers to the walrus in this book. In 2010, the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey, the poem is quoted, they say the time has come. Um, to talk of many things, of shoes and spaceships and ceiling wax, but mostly of monoliths and malfunctioning computers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sequel? Yeah, 2010 is the sequel to 2001. There's a movie. It's not as good. Oh. And the poem inspired the song Just One Lifetime by Sting and Shaggy off their album 44-876. So. The time has come, the world has said. Talk of many things. Ship and shoes and ceiling wax of cabbages and kings. That walrus thing is way more prominent in pop culture than I than I realized, so it's pretty interesting. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of ships and shoes and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings. The Mad Hatter is kind of like, I thought he would have a slightly bigger role in this movie. I mean, mm. he kind of did, but the Cheshire Cat was, I think, a bigger role than he had. And he's kind of like permeated Disney culture a ton from this movie, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising because it's a relatively small role. And obviously mm-hmm. he's like quirky and everything. But I mean, his buddy at the table, I don't know. His, do you know his name? Uh, the Marge Hare. Okay. Yeah. Like I didn't even know his name, but he like has a similar mm-hmm. role at the table as the as uh, the Mad Hatter. I was just surprised that I didn't even know who that guy was. But everybody knows who the Mad Hatter is. Yep. Right. Oh, what a delightful time. Well, and the term, the term Mad Hatter is a term. I don't know if that's from Alice in Wonderland, but the fact that that's like a common, common term terminology doesn't, doesn't hurt its cause. Yeah. Well, it's a caricature actually uh, back in the day when they would make those top hats out of beaver pelts. For some reason, there was like some kind of chemical that was released in the fume that caused the people who wore the hats to become crazy so lewis carroll (laughs) was referring to mad as a hatter as in someone who wore a top hat got it Mm. that is a fun fact there you go fun fact by the way speaking of the mad hatter who is probably my favorite character in the whole movie he's uh voiced by edwin and he voices characters well not just voices acts out characters in twilight zone he was the grandpa in Meet Me in St. Louis. He's Uncle Albert in Mary Poppins. And funny enough, I don't know if you guys know this either, but there's they did a lot of rotoscoping and filming of the actors just kind of interacting. And then the animators would watch that and they would, you know, they would craft the scene. Well, during the tea party scene, whenever they take the rabbit's watch and they're messing with it, most of that if not almost all of it, was ad-libbed by Edwin, and he was just having a ball with it. And he ad-libs that line. He goes, Mustard, don't let be silly. <laughs> <laughs> and Walt loved it so much. He told the animators, he's like, well, this this got to go in the film. And the animator, apparently during the scene when it was recorded, it was, there was too much background noise. And Walt famously said, <laughs> as he smiled, he goes, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they they did it though. They pulled it off. They they got it in the movie. Mustard! Mustard, yes, but mustard! 
Don't let's be silly. Oh, and I just thought of one of the most prominent forms of Alice in Wonderland in the theme parks that I completely forgot about is the teacups ride. Oh. Is the mad tea party. That's, yeah, that's true. So, and that's at Disneyland and Disney World and probably Mm -hmm. in Paris and probably in the other parks as well. So, right. Very popular ride and definitely based on Alice in Wonderland. A merry, merry, a merry to Mr. Rabbit! I think the biggest sequence we haven't talked about yet is the end uh, with the queen uh. and the and the cards and the trial and the pansy mm. little king. <laughs> 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 and the, uh, so I don't know how we want to get into that, um, but it's certainly fun. The, the cro- crochet, is that what that, no, not crochet. Cro- croquet. Croquet. Crochet is like, <laughs> <You're> close. <laughs> is like knitting, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Croquet <laughs> is hitting balls on grass. <laughs> uh, close again. Yes. That part, I remember when I was a kid, because that comes, that whole sequence comes right after like the, so to speak, all is lost moment for Alice whenever she's all sad. She's crying in the told you would. Which that sequence always gave me kind of the creeps anyway. Just it's off-putting and the, the hard lighting. But then the Cheshire Cat comes back and he brings back, he kind of corrects the plot to give it more direction again. And it, it made me anxious because I watched the movie a lot. But it made me anxious whenever the Cheshire Cat opens up the door in the tree. Hmm. I was like, oh, now we're going to go see the queen and all that stuff. <laughs> I guess the stakes were raised and it just kind of... Gave me a bit of unease as a child. It carried through again when I watched it today. There is some off-putting stuff in here for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially that sequence you're talking about where she's like walking down the trail and, and the that dog with the broom comes yes. sweeping through. Yeah, that's so sad. Yes. I know. That bothered. It bothered me again today. I told my wife because she was right there still. I was like, I hate this part. <laughs> it's like every child's fear of getting lost. Yeah. I mean, you said that the Cheshire Cat like actually raises stakes at this point. I mean, it's kind of the central conflict for the movie feels like it's the queen and it isn't introduced until the last 15 minutes. <laughs> 10, 10, 15 minutes, right. Of the movie. It's really, it's true. Yeah. It's like, where's she been? So, I was kind of going to mention, like, I, like earlier I said I kind of enjoyed the first and third acts the most because I kind of just felt like the middle of the movie from like, from the walrus thing up until this point, like, you could take out any of those sections, maybe not meeting the Cheshire Cat, and the movie wouldn't change at all if you just smashed <laughs> the end and the beginning together, because the central conflict feels like it's the queen, and I feel like they could have maybe introduced that a little bit earlier somehow. Yeah. Well, the rabbit's kind of that, right? Right? He's got hearts on his outfit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, he's ultimately late to go, like, begin the game of croquet, correct? Mm-hmm. A very important date. Yep. By the way, he has a really cute house. <laughs> so that weird. He has a really cute house. <laughs> everything's Hi, all else. like tiny house. It's like all everything's like bunny related in some way. It's adorable. And then it gets completely destroyed. That was destroyed. Sad. And the dodo comes back. And then the flower scene, which is great. <laughs> okay, it is creative and it it is interesting, but man, it just ugh. some of those faces just make me. Yeah, it makes my skin crawl. All right, that's fine. Real quick, though, what do you guys think about the end? Like, the very end. Walks through the door, wakes up, boom, done. 
<laughs> yeah, that kind of pissed me off because I wanted more of an explanation. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> it's a dream. And it's like before you have time to even process that it's a dream, it's just boom, credits over. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost cheapened it, you know? But I, I did notice, not to jump too far ahead to 30 seconds later, but they actually had end credits in this movie. Oh, you're right. Uh, which that's the first time we've had end credits. It it cuts to like a list of all the cast members at the end. Interesting. I think to make the end more kind of solid and wrap, like kind of put a bow on it, they could have like shown the rabbit like hopping in the distance or something. Yes. You know, just to show you that it actually happened or like tease yeah, something or, like that. Or, did, or you know, like, well, yeah. did it happen? The, the t- is the yeah. top still spinning? Whoop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could not agree. I had the same exact thought, like some kind of tie-in. Because, of course, she, she makes her little hero's journey. She comes home. but Or the Cheshire uh, cat's eyes just somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that would have been fun. But no, it's just over. Oh, done. Did they ever make a sequel? Uh, they did to the 2010 film. Yeah, that doesn't count. Did they make I a know. sequel? <laughs> was there a direct-to-DVD, direct-to-VHS sequel to this? I don't think there was. Uh, if there was, it's news to me. Yeah. But there was a 1966 animated movie, a 1972 musical motion picture, 1976, 81, 83, 85, 88, 95, 99, 05, 09, 10, and Alice Through the Looking Glass 2016. <laughs> so those are all the different iterations of this movie from various production companies and various countries. Wow. All right, well, let's close this guy out. Chris, we need a rating system for Alice in Wonderland. What do you got? Hmm. Singing flowers. I say out of, <laughs> out of 10 singing flowers. Okay. Sounds good to me. So out of 10 singing flowers, how would you rate this movie and give me your wrap up? Well, it's very, it's very disjointed. It's very nonsensical and it's absurd. And I mean, some of those things are positive in my opinion, like in this setting. So hmm, it's got a lot of character. It's a lot of fun. I think I'm going to give it eight to 8.5 singing flowers out of 10. All right. That's pretty high. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really, and I think a lot of nostalgia is playing in for me as well, but I just, I love all, almost all the voice acting is terrific. And uh, the music is great. The atmosphere is great. It's just a Disney classic. Great. David, how about you? Out of 10 singing flowers. <laughs> I always respect our guests' rating systems, but if I, <laughs> I'll do it out of 10 singing flowers, okay? But I would have done <laughs> 20 dead baby clams. Oh! <laughs> But oh, I'll that would have I will give it <laughs> a seven out of ten Ooh. singing flowers. I think this is kind of like the peak of Disney's package films. Mm. Like, there's definitely it's definitely a story on its own. You know, linking the different segments. It's not like completely disjointed. It is joint a jointed package film, mm-hmm. um, just I, like Three Caballeros. No. <laughs> Much better than three caballeros. I don't know. I kind of already talked about the middle middle part mm-hmm. was too slow. I like the beginning and the end. I think they could have bridged it together and made it a little more cohesive and mm. introduced the villain earlier. That's fair. 
Mike, what do you rate it? I, as I said, I really appreciated the art and the style and a lot of the sequences were fun. Just the ending kind of made me mad. I didn't really (laughs) feel like it really held up as like a full movie. Yeah, it's fair. Because I was expecting a full movie with some sort of satisfying conclusion. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go like six out of ten. But that, but to me, that's not, that doesn't mean like terrible. I've established this before that like. It's like a D. You know, six out of ten is like a (laughs) three out of five, which isn't awful. (laughs) I guess. You know? (laughs) That's a D. (laughs) Yeah, but in my mind, it's like a three out of five. You know, which means oh, like it was okay. okay. Which means like it was okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Either way, our system is arbitrary, but it's definitely it not. It's definitely, it, this definitely will not crack my future top 10. I'll give it that. Really? Nah. It, see, it kind of it kind of made me wonder about my top 10. I don't think it made it, <laughs> but it got close. Maybe it does make it. I don't, I'm going to have to let it sit. Watch it again. I could watch it again right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that. And we'll let it. We'll let our guests go. <laughs> we'll let our listeners go. Chris Lair once. Oh, real quick, I just wanted to say, after our Saludos Amigos discussion and my solilo- soliloquy on the, the history of the Brazil song, I was in search of the soundtrack for the movie Brazil, and I couldn't find it anywhere online except for in physical form. So I now am a proud owner of the compact disc soundtrack Hey-o. to Terry Gilliam's. Brazil, which has at least like six versions of the Brazil song in it. So it's fantastic. Is it uh, Michael Kamen? That is correct. Cool. Or is it Kamen? Kamen? I don't know. I always read it. Well, good for you. I'm glad you found it. So I may just play that song again at the end of this show, because why not? (laughs) Anyway, Chris Lair, thank you so much for joining us for your third time. You're a a veteran of Disney One by One. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. As always, it has been a pleasure. You're welcome. And David, the ultimate veteran, along with me, thanks again for watching another Disney movie. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Next week, Peter Pan. I think we start to crack into some of the greats. I know uh, Chris would argue that this was one of the greats, but we would not agree, it seems. (laughs) Whoa. I love love Peter Pan, so I'm excited. I'm excited to watch it again. One of the greats. It is. And like the second star to the right. Mm. Yeah. You, you can fly. Mm. Mm. I'm excited to listen to those and see those again. So anyway, that's it for Alice in Wonderland. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. Oh, man. Well, guys, I love this. Anytime you ever want uh, anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I absolutely love it. Well, okay. I'll keep you in. The, I'll keep you like every like four or five shows or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's my usual. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I get Black Cauldron, that's all I really care. Well, you're about. Right, you're already on the list for that. So. Yes. <laughs> I've never seen it. Me neither. I I can't wait. <laughs>